Hello everyone, Nicholas Crody here, Arcanex Features Editor. The interview you're about to hear was recorded live as part of Arcanex podcasting event series, Next Up, held at the Neutra VDL House in Silver Lake on March 4th. We've hosted Next Ups before at Giant Jai Gallery, at the Chicago Architecture Biennial, and at the A&D Museum. This time around, we focused on potential roles for architecture in the contemporary neoliberal economy, with a special focus on issues pertaining to gender and identity. In a sense, what we wanted to look at is how architecture is itself designed, and, specifically, how we can redesign the systems in which it is embedded. In what ways are people challenging these systems from within? How can we find loopholes in the current economic framework to create a more equitable world? How can we design support systems for those most affected by an unjust political economy? So we invited a slew of architects and activists to talk about their work. For the event, Arconnect partnered with my experimental architecture studio, Adjustments Agency. The other voice you'll be hearing is Joanna Kloppenberg, who co-founded the studio with me. We've also shifted up the format a bit, with talks happening in one room while interviews were being conducted at the same time in another. We hope you enjoy this interview from Next Up, Floating Worlds. Hi, we're here with Gabrielle, Rosanna, and Virginia of F Architecture, or Feminist Architecture Collaborative. And um, we just heard a really great presentation on your post-Fordist Hyman factory. So we just want to ask a couple more questions about your organization in general. So I'm just wondering if you could tell us a bit about F Architects and what's the guiding ethos behind your work. What does a feminist architecture practice comprise of? Um, well, it comprises of the three of us women's um, <laughs> who In general, I would say we're interested in bodies and their implications in space. There's sort of political positions in space and how sort of materially and technologically they're constituted. We like to say that we are three women working through architecture and its refusal and that our labor is physical and dependent on the work of our bodies and that we're trying to change the space of practice for women architects by altering architecture's methodology. I would say that architecture as a profession, when it sort of responds to politics and to like the invocation of an F-word feminism, that it has a sort of tired diversity discourse that's like really based in sort of representation. So like the easiest way to engage with the politics of the profession is to, you know, take a reading of the room and see how few like women or people of color are in it and like, you know, wonder why they're not paid very well. I wanted to say that we really try to work ethnographically, meaning that we try to operate with other individuals who are exercising their agency through different design methodologies. And for us, that means seeking collaborators and recognizing collaborators that might not fit this role of traditional architects. So a lot of our projects that are based in different continents have involved collaboration with other women or gender non-conforming individuals. So we've had a series of projects in the Amazon that looks at the ways that women are active agents in the creation of their own environments. So by planting the rainforest, they're acting as architects within that space. And then we also were working on a gay pride parade in Amman where maybe Rosanna can talk a little bit more about that. Um, Yes, so the parade or... A procession um, was modeled after the royal family's way of engaging with um, Jordanian citizens and the way that they legitimized themselves as Jordan was in a nascent state 70 years ago. So 
the march was inaugurating queer bodies and non-masculine bodies in spaces that they aren't normally accepted in or are visible in. And it was a way to legitimize them through very real permits and going through a process of like obtaining that permit and going through the bureaucracy and having the state, the very state that delegitimizes them and kind of considers them non-existent be the one that actually allow them to exist and like one thing that wasn't planned is having um, the state also chauffeur us that's the word <laughs> yeah we had like police kind of protecting us during the parade and it was kind of an experiment to see how far bodies that aren't allowed any kind of existence or vo- to vocalize their existence how like how art and architecture and like exploitation of like public space and rules that already exist how how can they become you know subversive mm-hmm. but and yet re- like remain very legal what's the legal status of homosexuality in jordan homosexuality is not criminalized but there's constant harassment the police constantly detains men that don't fit their heteronormative standards trans community is Um, really marginalized. They're treated really badly. Of course, gay marriage is not legal there. There's a lot, still a lot to be done in, in order to like, you know, have more LGBTQ rights. And I mean, the performance was also targeted. Well, it was also talking about women because women also have a very, well, their presence in public is not strong. Sorry, I forgot the word, but like they're still very heavy victim blaming. There's a lot of laws that do not protect women too. And so um, in general, non-masculine, non-heteronormative masculine bodies are subjected to a lot of harassment and um, ridicule on the streets. So it was, you know, an attempt to kind of own the streets, even if it's for a small period of time, it's to allow like that kind of full control over the public. And also, Rosanna is currently writing an essay on this. It's going to appear on Subtext, which is the online publication for architects, an organization that's A-R-C-H-I-T-E-X-X, um, an organization of uh, women architects uh, based predominantly in New York. So F Architecture has taken over this blog for the next few months, and Gabrielle is heading up that initiative right now and just wrote an essay on labor and its refusal. You can also find that on the online publication (laughs) with a collection of essays that focus on architecture and politics and the politics of protest, broadly speaking. I mean, one of our recent projects was to collaborate with Amopakin, which is an indigenous women's midwifery located on the edge of the Amazon in Ecuador. Um, These women have been practicing midwifery for a very long time, but they recently received governmental grant to start a cultural institution. So they are the arbiters of the history of the forest and its discourse. And so we were very excited to collaborate with them as women who are the architects of the rainforest and possess all of this knowledge of its creation over centuries. Um, So obviously, whenever you inhabitat three, whenever that conference was slated to happen in Quito, we saw it as an incredible opportunity to use our architectural skills to presence these women within UN Habitat. But unfortunately, because of the price of accessing the space and creating an exhibition within that space, although we were accepted 
wanted to create an exhibition with them. It was just something that we couldn't afford to do. Yeah, and certainly they couldn't. So we started thinking of other ways of making their traditions and practices and agency apparent and visible to these international visitors within their home country. And we started to use their traditional healing practices and their actions and their traditional dress as a way of signifying um, the kinds of agency that they have within a spatial environment. Although it may not be considered to be an environment that is typically urban, it is this um, spatial form that is based on uh, social structures and modes of relating with the forest and the non-human. And that kind of engagement, which is often associated with indigenous ontologies, is not recognized by UN Habitat as an urban form or a form that is worth protecting or acknowledging. So but through this, this performance, which also was accompanied by a publication that we all worked on, we wanted to reassert their position and reassert the significance of this dynamic between the creation of the city and the exploitation of these more rural sectors, which is something that is swept under the rug by UN Habitat. Um, so it's not enough for us to just focus on the the constitution of the city and the voices of um of people within the city, but also to think about the people who are exploited as a result of the aggregation of the city and like the accumulation of capital there. I think we've been trying to do these projects that produce an appearance of a subject or a cause, a, a bodied subject, a, a person <laughs> subject in the sort of spaces of legitimation of, of discourse and of, you know, political speech and will. So the UN Habitat conference was one sort of stage that we were looking at. Um, but we've also tried to produce the scenarios wherein political speech can be both aired and recognized and recirculated. So we have a project called I Called, which was an attempt at a social media phenomenon in the wake of the recent election to incentivize a different kind of political participation that riffs on the I voted selfie. So what we did was we developed a set to film people calling their senators and objecting to this. It was initially staged when um, the cabinet positions were being filled and heard in the Senate committee or their respective committees. So they're like very direct calls to action. And so we set this up in, in two different events. One was the Forward Union Fair, which happened in New York, which was like an amazing event of creative practitioners and activists and nonprofit organizations coming together to try and, um, you know, produce actions and and talk about a path forward in this administration. So we staged it there and at a similar event on Inauguration Day at the New School. So two sort of sites of convergence around worry and disdain and lapsed hope for this future of DJT. And so the set was amazing. We made this wallpaper that was mimetic of the Trump 
penthouse interior. So it had this like sort of Rococo gilded architectural elements rendered with Trump's own sort of peachy complexion. If you look at pictures of his New York penthouse in Trump Tower, it's like a very like orange Versailles aesthetic. Like it's very gold and it's like a lot, but it looks so much like his face and his hair. So we've collapsed those two things and made what like from far away looks kind of beautiful. Um, (laughs) But when you get close, it's so repulsive. So we have this backdrop, this photo backdrop and some different furnitures to accommodate a sort of performance of political speech which we filmed and you can find them on Instagram and Twitter and things. So, yeah. Yeah, So I think that obviously after the election, we all started to rethink our forms of political action and try to examine where agency and efficacy may lie, whoever we are, architects or otherwise. And one of these ideas was to think about the the use of design to represent different populations or political views and to think about what the architectural aesthetic of politics even is and how through the distribution of different or circulation of these different photographs of the White House, for example, we all start to feel a sense of ownership of that space as citizens. So whenever we started to think about the White House kind of potentially being relocated to Trump Tower, we started to ask, how can Americans feel a sense of ownership over this space that is actually quite exclusive and is affiliated with a certain price bracket, you know? So we wanted to look at these interiors that Gabby described and think about reappropriating them for the use of the Democratic Party or like the anti-Trump people. So that was one of the reasons that we reappropriated this gilded aesthetic and then seened it within these spaces of protest and political action. So after that horrible thing that happened, we also, we had a kind of two-pronged approach. One was this I called installation and another was Critical Happy Hour, which is an initiative that we are working on with our sister collaborative firm, uh, QSpace. And we're both members of the GSAP Incubator, which is a part of the New Museum Incubator, an initiative undertaken by the New Museum. And we started to ask, how can we have more conversations about politics and the efficacy of protests within architecture? And so we are having this series of events, one a month, where we invite artists and designers, the allied fields of architecture, to speak about the ways that they view protests, the ways that they view refusal and action, and even inspiring other people to do something. And so... We've been doing that once a month, and we have a website for that, which is Mm -hmm. criticalhappyhour.com, where you can look and um, check up on what events will be happening. But each event is supposed to end with an action point. So last month's event ended with us sending postcards to senators and other politicians. Yeah. 